are listening to the Run For It podcast. I am Finlay and this week I am joined by previous guest of the Run For It podcast, James Dunn. James, how are you doing? Doing well, thank you. How are you, Finlay? I'm very well, thanks. How's your running going at the moment? A uh, bit of a stall at the minute. Uh, had a bit of oh, a yeah? foot niggle. Uh, yeah, I've had a bit of a foot niggle for about a month, which I've kind of just been uh, nursing. Uh, and it's just progressively got a little bit tighter. Uh, so I've just uh, backed off a little bit over the last few days. It's quite good. It's come at a good time. It gives me a bit of a mental refresh before uh, building back up into a marathon block. Uh, so yeah, hopefully nothing too serious. <laughs> oh, I didn't know what what I didn't know you'd done that. What is it you've? you've uh, it 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 feels like it felt a little bit like plantar fasciitis initially. Um, but then the actual the actual site of it isn't quite. The plantar, I think it's more the insertion point of the posterior tibialis, so your post-tib, uh, just a little bit inflamed. I think it's because I've been running on the track a little bit more than I have been, uh, well, for a wee while and doing some much faster stuff. Uh, so it's just a little bit inflamed. I can, I can run on it, but I wanted to make it sure it's all tip-top for when yeah. I go back into the marathon block. Uh, so yeah. Is it's... that because you're in spikes as well or on the track? Is that... Uh, or are you still doing that in in road shoes? I was doing it, doing it in road shoes, a mixture. Um, I get, you know what? It's one of those things when you look back in hindsight, uh, and you look at what you've done in terms of racing. I got a bit, was a bit overzealous, uh, through May, uh, May June to early June time, and that's when it really started to twinge a little bit after a hill race uh, in early June. I thought, oh, maybe nurse us a little bit and haven't been training. It's felt it on and off during sessions. It's all go away, but then. The next morning feel a little bit tight uh, and I thought went back to training after a bit of a holiday or last Tuesday and thought nah that's not feeling quite right can't you know when you just can't push off off your big toe and it's yeah. you're just sort of sitting in your lower threshold zone it's quite easy but I can't go any faster like right just can it uh, and have a few days off to let it settle down a wee bit and it touch wood it's been feeling pretty good since uh still still there but uh just rolling it, rolling it with a, a massage ball, icing it every so often, uh, and then doing some mobility stuff. But it is a classic case of, uh, yeah, stop doing as much strength and conditioning as I was, uh, doing a bit too many too many high-intensity races, followed by hard sessions, and recovery is maybe not quite where it's been. So it's a, a good lesson to all that stick to those healthy routines uh, and you will stay injury-free. Because it's the first like niggle I've had for about two years that's held me away from running uh so yeah good lesson for everyone there <laughs> but at least you've made the decision to stop that stop now so it doesn't affect your build too much to the marathon absolutely that's why i've decided to like usually these little niggles this is one of those where it felt like it would just go away after a few runs just you know just naturally like a small little niggle but it has persisted and i thought right cut cut it now uh and then hopefully be all gone so when it comes to marathon block I'm in a strong position and yeah, encourages me to go back to the gym to do that strength and conditioning work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice. And how many weeks have you got till the marathon then? Oh, What's that from ages, now? ages. So ages. I've entered Malaga. That's the, the next big target, yeah. um, which is on the 10th of December. So mm-hmm. if I start the block around uh, September time, early September, um, get a good bit of base in before then, and then the really sort of marathon specific stuff through October, no, uh, late in October, November, and we should be good to go. Um, but yeah, should be good. How about you, Finley? What are you, you training uh, for at the minute? Well, mine's been a bit all up in the air. I was, I was thinking, oh, I would, I'd quite like to, I'd quite like to run London, yeah. and I'd need to run a, I'd need to run a qualifying time to do that. So I'm pretend, I, I don't, I just don't think I'm going to be. I just don't like the idea, I guess, now of running a marathon this year. That's potentially another one. That's potentially what I was going to do. But I think now I'm going to try and still maybe target a fast half marathon type. Yeah, you can call it. What is the, the qualifying of the, of the half now? Seven, 72, 72 minutes, minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that's within the realms. Yeah, but I weirdly, though, the marathon qualifying time is just sub 240. And for me, because of my range... It's almost easier for me to run a two thirty yeah. marathon than it is. Yeah, uh, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I mean, it does speak to the fact that the marathon and the half marathon are actually very different events. It's almost like comparing a four hundred meter to a five thousand. 
there's so many other variables that come into play after sort of 20 miles of running that uh that make the marathon a beast of its own <laughs> yeah, by no totally. means can you make a make a predicted time off a half marathon to a marathon really accurately no, anyway i know that rule of double it and add x amount of minutes doesn't uh doesn't really work no. in, in a lot not not for everyone that's for sure no no <laughs> Um, so yeah, a little bit up in the air exactly what I'm going to do, but I'm just I'm actually quite enjoying the process at the moment in terms of I've I've set a bit of a goal in that by what I'm going to do is I'm going to add 10k to my weekly mileage every four weeks because okay. I'm going to whatever happens I'm going to run a marathon next April to try and run a time and the goal is to get up to up to that 160k a week where I'm running 100 miles. To try and I just want to see what happens to my speed and to my endurance if I can hit that. And I don't normally like to work by. That sounds quite just... arbitrary for you, Finley. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Going against the so, grain, just a sort yeah, like a but... rounded ten kilometers every four weeks. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just I'm going to try the mileage route and see what happens because when I built, I remember during lockdown when I couldn't swim and cycle as much, I built my run mileage up quite a bit. And I, the, honestly, the difference I just started to feel, like seeing threshold sessions just felt like I had so much depth there. I could mm-hmm. recover so much faster after the session. So I'm just I'm just quite curious. It might not work. And if it doesn't work, I've tried it and then I know. So we'll see. To caveat that, would you say that, uh, a, you know, a block of maybe only 12 weeks of really sort of high mileage is maybe just a little bit too short to see whether you can... Do you reap the benefits from going higher mileage, or what do you think? Because those adaptations take years, you know. You'd, some yeah, some yeah. coaches would probably argue you need sort of four to five years of doing the really high mileage stuff to really start to see the strength and the the aerobic base benefits that that provides. Um, yeah. Well, I guess guess because I built, you know, I know it's not like for like, but the volume I've done on the yeah. bike over the years that's like that's going to count for a lot yeah yeah so that makes me and what i've been suffering with is because i've not been doing as much cycling and as swimming i've lost that aerobic base a bit right so i'm trying to then see if i can build that up on the run without getting injured right so trying to do it in a very manageable way so i'm at 100k at the moment and i'm going to gradually i'm I'm just actually i'm starting 110 so i'm going to gradually build that up from there so we'll see so that's the plan I think that's it. Yeah, it's good. And it works. Yeah. I mean, it ties in quite nicely to what we're going to be talking about today, really. Talking about bigger uh, aerobic oh, yeah. bases and such like. Uh, absolutely. Nice segue into this uh, this this episode, which is all about heart rate training yeah. and how to use that in your training. It's one of the most popular methods of training. It's talked about all the time. You read about it all the time. Everyone says, oh, you know, what's your heart rate in that race or that training session? But at the same time, there's there's so much confusion about it. There's a lot of differing opinions, and let's face it, it, it can be pretty complicated to go through. And you know, we we've got we've got degrees in applied sports science, and I mean, I know I get confused a little bit at, at times about what I read, and I'm sure you do. There's a lot of different Tuesdays. opinions out there. Let's put it that way, and a lot of yeah. counter sort of counter arguments and counter research actually sort of disproving and proving the point. Um, so yeah, it is a bit of a minefield, particularly, I mean, this is us coming in there from a perspective of four years studying it, five years studying it in my perspective in, in two different degrees. Um, and even now it's a little, the, the, the waters are very muddied in terms of the efficacy of using heart rate as a, as a, um, yeah, as a way of monitoring training, but also, um, how it can then inform what you do in your sessions. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's that's it, isn't it? It's, and and we want to. What we thought we'd do with this episode is try and break down what some of those limitations are and where why it's not the be all and end all, but also talk through our experience as you know as runners as how we use it in our training, how it can be beneficial, and then hopefully through that you can take away as a listener some practical you know some practical applications of how to actually apply that to your everyday running and how you how you can get the, the most out of this measure and this tool and and actually just know about a bit more about it so i mean as an absolute basic you know going going back to the most simple uh, realms of heart rate training 
you know, the, the idea is that it's just we're measuring our beats per minute to act as a guide to what zone we're in. Now, the zone model that I always used to work off and what I still work to a degree now is kind of a six zone model where zone one would be what we call active recovery, where you really are going at a very easy intensity. For some people, that might even be a walk. Zone two, we're creeping up into that aerobic endurance where you're you're in a steady state effort, but we're, we're not quite at that first lactate temp turn point. Zone three, we're then going past that first lactate turn point in between LT1 and LT2, and then into zone four, which is that kind of threshold intensity where you're starting to do longer tempo efforts, up into zone five, where that might be your VO2 work, where you're doing shorter, harder work efforts. And a lot of people think, oh, that's maybe where your zones stop, but there is an effort above that, that anaerobic capacity. Imagine you went on the the, the bike machine and cycled as hard as you could. You know, after six seconds, your power will start to decrease, and that's because you're hitting that anaerobic capacity zone. And that that's kind of classically how I've always looked at the the zones and how, what a lot of people talk about. But there's different schools of thought on that, isn't there? So yeah, there's some I different mean, ways to look at it. At, at the end of the day, um, what what you're looking at here is you're trying to use heart rate uh, to delineate different different. Um, different obviously exercise intensity but then also you've got to look at it in terms of what type of um what your physiology is doing in those different intensity zones okay so i would almost broad brush because you've got your there's six zone models there's seven zone models you can really sort of go into these micro zones i tend to work in when you look in this broad brushly anyway there's there's sort of three zones of activity um, if you like. So you've got anything that's below your lactate turn point one. So this is activity where you are large, you're you're burning, well, you're using, uh, still using glycogen, so um, sugars and such like, but also fats to produce energy for your muscles to use whilst you're being active. Um, and that isn't raising your baseline lactate levels in your blood. Okay. Then once you go increase that intensity to a point where your body is then starting to have to recruit muscles at a, at a rate, which means that there's this there's what we call anaerobic glycolysis. So you're having to use glycogen without the presence of oxygen to produce energy. Um, now, some people think that's the production of lactic acid. It's just a quicker pathway to make use of that molecule. To produce energy because your body can't get oxygen to the muscle quick enough at the weight the rate you're using it but it doesn't necessarily mean that your body's then gonna spiral into producing lots of what we call lactate and pyruvate because actually your body can recycle that as, a, as an energy source later on um, so you've got that that block of that block of intensity there until you then reach your lactate turn point two and this is the sort of what some people call the lactate inflection point where you then start producing lactate to a point which your body can't recycle it. And this is when you'll have that sort of noticeable increase in your blood lactate levels. Um, and that's where you, these are the sort of the three key different energy zones, if you like, when during activity. Um, and you can then use heart rate to be as a reference point for those different exercise zones, if you like. Um, and then obviously you can layer that on top of it, because as Finley rightly said, you've got that top end or anaerobic exercise, which is basically an activity level you can only hold for a limited time. So if, no matter how hard you try, your power output will decrease. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good breakdown, and like the the key those key kind of physiological markers that you're talking about there. Yeah, we do. You can then get a very good estimation of what's happening based on what your heart rate is. Yeah, so that that's where it's really useful. But the problem with that again though is there's a lot of assumptions made on what percentage of heart rate will correlate to what zone exactly. based on yeah. your yeah. max heart rate and we know that there's a lot of variance there isn't there we're all very different animals at the end of the day based on our various you know our training status um right down to the composition of our muscle fibers which again is, is probably down to training status but i mean we were discussing this the other day weren't we where Someone like a Kipchoge, for instance, um, who can work at such a high intensity without necessarily generating that or is able to recycle that lactate really efficiently. 
he is probably going to be able to operate very close to max heart rate um, during his marathon efforts, which most of us would not be able to do just because his body is so efficient at produ- uh, at um, recycling that 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 those um, those substrates. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's it's the variance, and you see from lab testing as well that like, that saying that seventy percent of yeah. your max heart rate will be you know the top of zone two is just not not true. It could be wildly different from runner to runner and another thing that kind of like that it's it's these broad brush strokes are useful but it's also there you know you take that classic zone two example where people say you know yes you in theory will be metabolizing a bit more fat Mm -hmm. but you you know you can profile a lot of people where that zone two they can be metabolizing quite a lot of carbohydrate and actually their fat oxidation can be quite poor as well so even then there's still those, you know, people say, oh, it's a fat burning zone, but it might not necessarily be your fat burning zone as well. And that percentage of heart rate might, you know, some people will be able to metabolize, you know, their fat max will be at 85% of their of their max heart rate. So it can be, it can be very variable what's yeah. actually happening within those zones. And the slight problem there is that unless you're going to a lab to actually test all these zones, and kind of really look inside at what's happening, chances are you're never going to know exactly what's going on. But that that's okay, because as we're going to go on to, you don't need to be completely regimented in these no. saying that I have to fall within these zones on these runs. Isn't that, isn't that right? Absolutely. I mean, it, at the end of the day, like, if you start to, if you, if you're interested in what your heart rate is doing, uh, and you start to track a little bit what you know, what your heart rate does on different sessions, uh, and and then correlate that a little bit to what your rate of perceived exertion is on those sessions, you can have a very good idea of what your individualized zones are going to be. Um, so, I mean, for instance, myself, when I'm doing an easy run, uh, so let's say. An easy run to me, I rate that on sort of anything between sort of three to five on a say one to ten point scale on RP. So I can easily hold a conversation with someone. Um, I can, yeah, I could probably easily chuck in a, a faster effort in there and not really necessarily feel that as a as, as a real effort as it's it's not it's it's not stretching my ability during that run. But I'm not going to because the the purpose of the run is recovery uh, and just getting a bit of a uh, an aerobic stimulus there as well. Um, and usually in those runs, my heart rate is between sort of 110 to 120 beats a minute once I've fully warmed up and I've, I've got moving. Uh, what I tend to... So yeah. what, what, pace, what pace would you... This will be because this will be interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. What pace would you be at roughly at 120 beats per minute? When I'm fully what, warmed what, up. In terms of normal conditions. Yeah, yeah. so... Uh, for for me, like it depends how fresh I am and how sort of mobile I'm feeling that day. But I would say 120 beats, 430 to sort of five minute kilometer pace is yeah. what I'm doing. And then 120 yeah. beats a minute. Um, then again, you obviously got to caveat that because obviously there's certain things in the day which can have an effect on that. So mm-hmm. if it's a bit warmer, for instance, um, like just a, a hotter day, like it was in June. I was noticing actually my heart rate was maybe in the 120s, 130s on the similar effort runs. Um, but my my RPE was about the same. It didn't feel any harder, um, partially probably because I'm working well below what my threshold is. Um, but yeah, it's I, that's that's what I use to moderate it. But it's interesting to then see what your heart rate does and how it responds to um, an additional stimulus like heat, and then also how it changes over time if, as you become more heat adapted. Uh, that will also dra- gradually drop a little bit as well, just as your body becomes more efficient at cooling your body down. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. But as I, so I think where Finley's going with that, it's using heart rate as a tool to understand different intensity levels in your in your training to actually sometimes slow you down. Uh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because but 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 what so what's interesting there is that obviously the variance between your heart rate at that sort of pace and my yeah. heart rate at, at that sort of pace because. Like I think what's similar for both of us is we use heart rate for as a monitor for easier runs yeah. to kind of check that we're in the right place. Because I I split my what I call my aerobic miles or my easy miles into kind of two zones: that zone one and zone two. So for me, zone two is when I'm doing like a longer a, a steady run with like an element of purpose to it. So I'm trying to 
hit a hit a pace and I usually will feel quite good on those runs and the pace will feel easy. It's very sustainable. I could probably go and run a marathon fasted at that effort with actually not much preparation. Whereas zone one is almost the pace it has to be to be easy enough. If that makes sense where it's like a recovery run where if I've done a hard session the next day the pace that my legs can go at is the pace that is but I kind of use heart rate for those sessions so I'll do I'll cap my easy heart rate at 135 but for you that's obviously creeping up almost into more zone 2 but then my zone 2 window's quite actually quite small where it's kind of this 135 to, to 150 and I find I find there's quite a subtle difference, but that's where I if I'm going out in an easy run, I just don't care what my pace is. If I'm going up a hill and I see my heart rate going up or over one three five, that's when I'll actually almost even slow down to a walk. Go almost going up the hill, I'll yeah, go slow. Totally. I'll go that slowly. Um, but we're pretty similar, aren't we, in how we how we are using it for those sessions in our training. Yeah, I I like to use heart rate as a way of. Um... It's making sure I'm not going too hard, as you rightly say, yeah. on those easier days. And if my, you know, how my perception of effort in that doesn't match up to the heart rate, say it's a little bit higher, for instance, um, then I'm like, oh, actually, there may be something else going on. So it's another an outside factor that could be influencing your heart rate. So something like oh, maybe I'm coming down with something, you know, um, maybe I, I'm not hydrated enough on the, on, and maybe I shouldn't mm-hmm. actually consider that because. Yeah, it, it, it's just there to check yourself. And I actually, there are some occasions I'll also, after a harder session, um, I'll maybe look back at what my heart rate is doing. Um, and if I notice I can't actually get it as high as I'd like in that session, despite the effort being there, that's actually maybe an indication that I'm maybe overreaching a little bit. Because that is a that is a, a sign of overtraining a little bit is, you know, heart rate suppression. You can't get it up to the levels where you, you yeah. need it to be um just because yeah. your body's not able to really and uh yeah it's a, yeah, an yeah. immunosuppressed state yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and but i suppose then the flip side of that is you see people who they can't keep their heart rate down no particularly if they're new to running and that's quite often comes down to just economy of movement and how they're actually get getting the ability to be able to run and keep their heart rate at a very steady effort is difficult and that's where the real benefit of using heart rate for those sessions is to slow you down because it's just it's so easy to make those what should be slow miles too fast isn't it absolutely i mean it's the it's the aside from maybe getting a running shoe that's too small for you um i'd say that's the second biggest mistake people make when they start running they go out at a pace they you know, it's all out effort, almost like an interval to begin with, and then have to rein the pace back in. By that point, the heart rate spiked way high, um, and it just feels really, really difficult <laughs> the entire time. Yeah, and yeah. it is training a very. I was going back to the the um, uh, sort of what the energy zones that your body's using. It is training an energy zone, but it's not the one that you need to be hammering all the time. And I think a lot of people go out initially. Every single run is an all out effort, and actually you should have a bit of variety within your training and a lot of it should be done at a very very easy base base um effort and intensity where you can have a conversation with someone because actually a lot of the adaptations that happen in your muscles in those intensities of exercise are really really beneficial for then when you want to do some of that faster stuff and just making you a bit more resilient to different types of training load as well. Um, and also makes it quite fun. You know, you can have a conversation <laughs> as opposed to be totally yeah. blowing up all the time. I know, I know. It's amazing when I, like, I enjoy my running so much more when I, I think, I think it can sometimes sound a bit boring to people that you just go out and you just do a run where you're just running easy or you're just chatting away. But actually that, that's what, and, and for some people, especially when they're building up their miles, that might be a walk run initially or walks up hills but but even at the even at the very top level you still get athletes who are doing those easy miles too fast and it's about really how slow can you make those because you very quickly know when you've done them too quickly like you say you you know you over you know you overcook the engine a bit and it's the adaptations that happen in those in those lower zones they don't happen in the upper zones so you're missing out on, on all those physiological adaptations that happen in in that arena like 
for example, the ability to metabolize fat and the ability to clear lactate away at harder intensities. So even even it's more, critical, isn't it? Like mitochondrial density in your in your yeah. in your cells, you know, your body's not really using mitochondria all that much at higher intensities because it simply can't metabolize energy quick enough. It has to use some different pathways to, to, to get that energy. Whereas it in those lower zones, absolutely right, this is the, the easiest way to 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 produce energy in the most efficient way. Let's create more of these little factories of energy if you like and that's that's what mitochondria effectively are they produce atp to, to release and which your muscles they can use um to to, to produce energy and i say make more of them have a bigger aerobic base means that you can yeah. work aerobically for longer uh at a, at a set intensity yeah absolutely and we talked a lot about that in the zone two episode that was was really popular we, we really went into that mitochondrial detail that you can you can listen back to but the other the other thing like I really gonna think about with zone two training is the health aspect as well, because like we 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 live life at a million miles an hour and we cram so much into it and you know, you can people finish work or they're stressed and they go and do that high interval session where their heart rate's spiking up. But what that does is obviously releases blood glucose, releases lots of cortisol into the system. Mm-hmm. It's actually stressing that nervous system, so we're adding stress to stress. The, one of the big things about these easy aerobic miles, which where heart rates are really efficient, fact, but really bit beneficial thing to note is that you're kind of offsetting that load that's accumulating in life, and you're also offsetting the load from those harder sessions, and that's where your point about like outside factors having such an influence on your data because people are so bad at underestimating like life stress on their runs, mm-hmm. and if you've had a really stressful day your heart rate is probably going to show that, isn't it, in the training? Yeah. You might still be hydrated and fueled and all this, but... I notice it every single time that I'm a little bit more more fatigued at work, where probably I've also had a few more coffees that day as well to keep me going, which will obviously raises your heart rate naturally because it's a stimulant. Um, but yeah, like stress and then the poor, poor sleep, just it just has a knock-on effect. And yeah, cortisol is the big, the big bad in, in, in many respects particularly if your levels of blood cortisol are high for a long period of time, just because you, your body almost doesn't respond to it quite in the same way anymore. And you are, it, it suppresses your your body's ability to, to process it basically and process yeah. stress. Yeah. 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 And, and, and aerobic yeah. training will help regulate that. Yeah. I mean, I can speak already from a few days of not really being able to run the last few days, the, the real beneficial effects of just going for an easy run and just how that can really just settle everything. Uh, just feel a little yeah, bit more yeah. tired, not quite as alert in the morning, just because of and have it don't fully turn off when I get home from work because it feels like I'm you know, carrying it home with me as opposed to having that clean break, which is a bit of activity. Um, I suppose that's a that's a probably a topic for a whole other episode, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's a good one to go through though. Out of interest, do you do when you're doing your aerobic miles? Do you place an emphasis on doing them in the morning, like fasted, or do you fuel them? Do you think about that at all? So, I I I I've been I've done a little bit of you know trial and error with both of these and a lot of um, my own reading into the research of it. And to be honest, I think with um, just the you know what it can have an effect on your your immune system and, and stress. I always tend to eat something, uh, even if it's something a, a little bit, but yeah, a bit of carbohydrate content before going out the door uh, for, for any run, to be honest. Um, I have run fasted before. Sometimes necessity means that you do just have to get out the door uh, and do some do some miles on, on an empty stomach. But um, I do think that, that there's, there is a growing body of evidence to suggest that actually the added stress of running totally fasted isn't necessarily worth the potential benefit that that allows. Um, yeah from a training perspective anyway i know that mm. going into sort of marathon bots there is this um idea that you know in the last two weeks in your, in your taper there's that cut down of um carbohydrate intake followed by a sudden increase in the in the days prior because it sort of encourages your body to absorb more carbohydrate and store it as glycogen in the muscles mm-hmm. um but again you've always got to caveat there's pros and cons to all of these things uh, and I, I and I'm leaning more on the side. Actually, I'd be, I'd rather stay um, 
cold and uh, sort of bug free, uh, even if it doesn't mean I, you know, go. But that means that I then you, in my training, I'm definitely more carbohydrate heavy in terms of the way I fuel sessions as well, because I know that's the, the main energy source that I'm using. Yeah, it's interesting. We don't want to get too off topic, but what 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 I find it's you know volume's the greatest driver of what what fat metabolism, fat oxidation. You obviously don't you know you do incredible mileage and you know two low two twenty marathon runner. You know you, the base you've got there, you can't get to that without incredible fat oxidation. I think what why you know I'm obviously quite an advocate of doing using fast training in the right yeah. sessions. I find really state helps me stabilize blood glucose. Um, I think it actually almost improves my immune response. But that's where what will be interesting, I think, is as I build up the volume, will I need to start using a bit more carbohydrate in some sessions? Interesting. Because yeah. that's, there's the exciting thing coming with um, you know ketone esters. It's something that we're talking a lot about now. And using it, actually taking exogenous ketones. So rather than doing something fasted, which you're right, could be quite a stress on the body but could be really beneficial for zone two training, zone one for improving that fat oxidation. But ketone esters, I don't know if you've looked at the cost of them. Yeah. They're, yeah. Uh, they're, they're, more, it, they're more expensive than super shoes. So. It's, the, it's the, I mean, it's the, there's a cost element involved, but there's also a whole, a whole lifestyle element involved. And actually for a lot of part-time, I say part-time athletes, but even, you know, just people who are amateur athletes trying to you know, implement their training, in in and around work um it's not really a a not you can you can try it but there are there are caveats to that where but if you don't fully on fo- follow that program to the word or to the letter you're not going to get the full benefit and you are potentially you know risking things like underfueling going into sessions um and i'm Absolutely. very much of the mind of you know if if you're fueling your sessions sessions correctly you're doing your sort of base strength and conditioning and you're making sure you recover between each session. You're going to build up this, you know, very, cons- this consistency with your training load. And from most people you talk to and other athletes, the biggest thing that they talk about when it comes to how they've improved over time, it's just that consistency element. Um, by all means, if you think that's something you can implement effectively and you've, you've, you want to trial it a little bit, give it a shot but at the end of the day if, if you can stay consistent with your training um you'll notice improvement based on that because then your body will accumulate those physiological adapt- adaptations yeah it definitely yeah, makes right. sense it, yeah you rightly say like anything over like when you're going to really really long distance events which yourself you do you know ironman distance where you're going to be out for five hours six hours it does make an awful lot of sense why you'd start to look at how you can improve your your fat metabolism um mm-hmm. but yeah when you can particularly for like marathon distances when you know you could realistically consume um uh, if you train your body to be able to consume that degree of carbohydrate uh that you you can almost consume what you're going to be burning on the day or using on the day um and just naturally from the training your body's really clever in terms of how it mm-hmm. you know it finds the most efficient way of burning any fuel source it can um and yeah. it you will then recruit naturally a bit more fat oxidation because of the just by training more really yeah yeah it's really well-rounded you and hopefully that's yeah we're we're going slightly off topic there but it's still <laughs> very relevant to that so it's yeah we could go we could go down our well it, it does it relates that, to you know when you're looking at different training zones and what what yeah. you're what you're looking at with each of these sessions and at the end of the day what we're the whole premise of this chat is actually having an understanding and a, a purpose as to what you're doing with your sessions you can record yeah. heart rate to all you like but as long as you if you don't know what you're going to do with that data yeah. there's no point recording it <laughs> really yeah exactly yeah and i think uh moving that on to then the next kind of section with that the like where where I kind of then start to draw the line, and I think you do, is that I, I kind of stop using heart rate so much once I kind of get up to that upper limit of zone two. But what I find really helpful and sometimes a bit humbling is just to, you know, what that where that crossover is into zone three. Because as we mentioned earlier, if you're doing a long endurance event, a lot of people are going to be racing at that kind of zone three effort, that grey zone effort. So when you're in the build to a race you're going to be accumulating quite a lot of miles at that zone. So this idea that you always want to avoid zone three is wrong because you need to be efficient training at those runs. But when you're trying to run easy, 
you want to go stop going into that and it's amazing how many people don't realize that they're creeping into that zone three when they do so and the issue there is that as you mentioned earlier we start to move into more anaerobic glycolysis and we start yeah. to metabolize energy without the presence of oxygen which then you're not getting a lot of return from your effort in your normal training sessions and the issue is is probably when you're doing your you know you're building those base miles and you're doing a lot of zone one two work you're probably wanting to be doing some shorter faster work at the upper end and the issue is if those zone two miles creep up to too fast an intensity that then compromises your ability to do those harder sessions doesn't it everything becomes gray yeah you you know yeah. if your recovery runs are hard too hard to uh to elicit recovery but not fast enough to elicit the high end response then they're, they're not going to have the desired response and that means that when you come to your hard day you can't actually reach those upper limits because your body's not recovered <laughs> uh, and then then your training doesn't become polarized it becomes mono monetized in, in one type of training zone all the time and this is where people see stagnation with their training and probably repetitive injuries as well because you're constantly recruiting the same type of muscle groups in the same sequence all the time uh during sessions and you become quite stale with the training as well because you're not seeing any return and any return for your efforts of getting out the door and um you know get, getting those miles in and and then they <laughs> we all yeah whilst yeah yeah you guys saying Finley? no i was going to say what um if you were to put zone three you're kind of crossover there into terms of like effort pace wise would that you know would that be would that like be marathon pace you know what what would that be for you that you would as something for the listeners where you know they could be like oh if i'm starting to run at this intensity yeah and i'm a bit unsure where that crossover is what, I what would, should that feel i would like? say it should feel like a pace that you would be able to hold for about two hours yeah um yeah. it's one of those where obviously this it, it totally fluctuates with your your fitness level and, and how you're feeling but and it may get faster paces as that that uh, fitness level increases as well that relative fitness anyway um, but i would say it's sort of marathon pace to maybe a bit slower than marathon pace actually because uh, yeah. marathon yeah. pace is still pretty intense actually it, it's pretty fast yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it doesn't it doesn't feel that easy when you're running it that's for sure um no, no. so and, and this is also where you have to personally this is where i find running to obviously using heart rate but also using sort of your rate of perceived exertion just how constantly checking in with yourself as, as to how this feels and then referencing that as to what the purpose of the run is um, and then making an informed decision as to maybe what to do with with your pace. Because if it's if it's feeling actually quite hard, so this is the, the pace you've set yourself for the session, it's just feeling quite hard, it's feeling unsustainable for what I'm meant to do, back off the effort, you know? You're maybe not quite at that position or there's something else that's affecting that intensity or your ability to reach that intensity far better to sort of underreach a little bit and you know don't overcook yourself because at the end of the day if you overreach all the time you will start getting into that sort of overtraining cycle and just feeling you know almost dreading sessions because they're always really really difficult and you don't seem to be getting any return from them yeah absolutely and it's um it, it, it that if there's one almost takeaway from this like episode for you listening that that's kind of one of the main ones is just really try and work out what that ceiling is where you're potentially crossing over into that zone zone three because if you can start dropping below that you'll be amazed at some of the physiological changes that will take place and how much better you'll be able to get it's also having a purpose if you've if you're if you've got a training plan um and you know you've you've got set about looking at right this today is a recovery run well, don't try and overextend yourself on, on the recovery run because that, that is not the point in the session. Um, but by all means, there are definitely days you have to go faster. You have to go mm -hmm. hard. And this is, as you were right saying, you pay less attention to heart rate because the, the purpose there is just, it's a different stimulus. So heart rate, and you know, it's, it's a huge range that which that intensity zone could be in. So actually, as long as you're making sure that you're, you feel like you're working hard, um, you you're more or less in in that energy zone, great. But then on the recovery days, make sure it is well below really that almost that LT one threshold because the adaptations happen at the, at say a pace that is three out of ten for you versus also five out of ten. It's exactly the same adaptation that's happening. Yeah, 
yeah. arguably with I'm, less I'm injury on... risk at the slower pace. Absolutely, unless just less stress in general. Yeah. And there's a really cool example of that. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of it because it's a it's an Ironman example, but it's when Mark Allen, who won the Ironman World Championships uh, six times, he ran uh well the so the official time is two forty, but the transition was long. Right. So and the I think the time like started when he was still like the marathon was actually technically when you're still in transition. So actually I think today standard it would be two thirty nine. Bear in mind this isn't in carbon plated shoes. You know, this is back, you know, years ago when wasn't the same knowledge and understanding of things now. And he went through a period of heart rate training which didn't let his heart rate exceed 155. Now, what's interesting is obviously, you know, what you mentioned is, is as well, that cap for you, that, that's pretty, that's pretty hard intensity, which we'll come back to a second. But for him, I think that was still quite a low heart rate. And the stat is, which I, I still can't quite believe, but he did go on to run 239 and obviously win Kona six times is his pace at that intensity went from 509 minute per kilometer pace to roughly 320 minute kilometer pace by just running at that intensity and not letting his heart rate ever go above that. And there's other examples of that. I, I think this third time I've mentioned that Jesse Thomas won the Ironman, World Champ- Ironman Lanzarote Championships, ran a low 240 marathon in one of the hardest courses out there, was getting you know, lots of criticism for running, walking on his long, slow runs because he was trying to keep his heart rate down. But he was trying to do this principle of not letting that, that heart rate jump. And this... You know, we're not going to go into it's obviously uh, uh, there's a lot of different proponents of this heart rate style training, but one of the popular ones is this is coming off the back of some of the stuff that Phil Mathetone coined, yeah, which is and and funnily, it's named math training, not after Phil Math, which I always laugh at, but math means math aerobic function. But this is math, this is math really aerobic interesting. Fun- max aerobic function. Max maximum yeah, yeah. aerobic function. Sorry, yeah, good stuck with it. Yeah, no, yeah you're um, right. You're all good. <laughs> this is the idea that you you for the test you'll do your your max heart rate minus your age, and this is the classic one that people hear of heart rate, and that's your if you then run for fifteen to thirty minutes on a flat loop, that will get your kind of max aerobic uh, pace. However, if you were to do that, that would be a very hard intensity. Yeah, so and the, the equation is 180 minus your age. Um, and then there's some other caveats in there. So if you're recently injured, for instance, or haven't had a long base of training, you take another 10, year, uh, 10 beats off that as well, minus another 10. Um, if you've had an illness recently, you take another five. Um, if you, but however, if you have had a, like a consistent block of training, you just keep it as it is. Um, but yeah, so for instance, if I... I, in a session, for instance, if I'm getting my heart rate up to about 170, um, that is pretty all out for me. Um, there's been sessions, I don't know, for you Edinburgh listeners out there, there's a there's a hill in Castorfin called Kames. Me, flat out effort to the top. So it's like about two minute, two and a bit minute effort. Well, actually, it's three minutes right to the top. Um, my The highest I've ever got my heart rate up there is 174, minute, uh, 174 beats per minute. And I was goosed. I was on my back for like three minutes after that. And my pace was coming down as well. So it wasn't like an absolute max effort. Yeah. So I couldn't, just couldn't sustain it for three minutes. Um, but yeah, so that was 174 beats a minute. Um, if I'm running 155 beats or 150 beats a minute, um, I am getting pretty close to my marathon pace, if not my marathon yeah. pace. Like that And yeah, yeah when, you're, when you're not sort of, <laughs> as I was saying earlier, that's actually quite... Quite, I find that quite hard still um, to, yeah. to sustain yeah. uh, for, for obviously more than a marathon. And that's what he's recommending yeah. for most people to do in their session. Yeah. However, I know people who trying to hold their heart rate, that would feel really like quite hard. Like they're having to yeah. almost slow to a walk all the time and getting really frustrated with it. Uh, yeah. So there is, well, there is I, this caveat. I think if you took you, you're, I think if you took you as a percentage of the population who could run you know and and i'm not quite as fast as you on the marathon but even you know myself as well if you took us as, as a percentage of what we can run a marathon in versus population yeah you know we, we're a minority and that that is as you say that's the interesting thing with the that's where the math training can be quite beneficial i suppose is your your aerobic base is so developed so you you can sustain that but then you see 
there's so many what the math training's quite um interesting whereas if you can't keep your heart rate down and you're struggling to do that like you say walk that's a very clear sign that you don't have anaerobic base which and is kind of functioning as we'd want if you ever if you ever listen to phil maffetone talk as well the whole premise of this maximal aerobic uh capacity is actually that he's actually being quite um lenient as to where that set that zone sits he wants your heart rate to be actually he'd much rather be happy that it's well below that max max heart rate where you are still sort of aerobic in, a, in an aerobic zone um because as i was saying earlier the adaptations are the same he'd much rather you stick way below your, that that threshold because yeah it's it's trying to slow people down slow those easier runs down so you can develop a much bigger base to then go on from there yeah yeah and it's just it's quite a good test that you can yeah. you know you can do it in any way you could you know main thing is pick a flat loop you could do a 20 minute run trying to keep your heart rate at that amount and then do a period of six to eight weeks training and then retest it and see what the pace is at the same heart rate. Uh, and the simplicity of it is the benefit of it, isn't it? Like at the end of the day, keeping these sort of these tests and these programs in with your training, the more simple you can keep keep it, the more measurable you can keep it as well, the better because it's yeah, more yeah. applicable to in everyone's scenario or yeah, yeah, yeah. situation. Yeah. And that, I mean, and that's with, with the training, that's where... Like, hopefully it's pretty clear that we're using we're, we're you know we're trying to use the zone the zone one two training correlate that to heart rate and try and be um try and let that guide some of the sessions but when we're not using it is obviously when we're doing those faster sessions we might look back at the data retrospectively and compare say you know we might do a 5k effort or like a tempo session and say all right well heart rate average was that for that 10 minute block versus this a few weeks later or max was this but you know, if you're doing intervals, measuring heart rate is not effective because let's say if you're going to do five by two minutes or, you know, five by 500 meters, whatever, your heart rate is just going to be, it's going to take too long to climb up. By the time you finish your interval, your heart rate is probably still rising. So it, it's yeah. just not going to not going to work, is the it? Th- the thing I look at, the which I'm, when I'm looking at sessions, you're right, it's, it's comparing sort of max heart rate in a session, um, versus the same session a few weeks back or, or sort of monitor how where I'm going with that. But it's also how quickly my heart rate then recovers after each mm. of these uh, these bout, these intervals because if that drops straight off, then that's actually a really good indication that you're you're really fit and you're able to to um to yeah recover before the next repetition. Um and then yeah. your na- your heart rate will naturally creep up a little bit in those sessions. But the faster it drops off and recovers, the, the, yeah, you're fit. Doesn't really matter how high it gets in the various reps. Do you adjust your so when you're say you're moving through your block of training mm-hmm. and you just, obviously you might so you know for the listeners obviously one of the big things you can do is cut your rest. That's how you can manipulate the intensity. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you cut your rest based on what you think you should be cutting it by, or do you look back at the data and say my heart rate's dropped? So let's say you were doing five by k and you were taking two minutes rest do you look at the data and say that's too long i'm going to cut it down or do you just still go by feel with that um i uh, very much by feel and actually largely by prescription as to what the the, mm-hmm. the design of the session is that i mean you yeah. can you can have on paper two sessions that look almost identical well they are identical but then you you manipulate the recoveries and it completely changes what the uh the outcome of the session is going to be so Let's say, as an example, you've got 12 by 400 meters, but between them, you've got um, sort of fluctuations of, say, 45, 30 and 15 seconds recovery. Change that to a minute, even like a minute recovery, that the speed of those reps changes dramatically. And the actual um, design of the, what the what energy zones the, the session is targeting changes because they, the ones with the shorter recoveries is actually just basically like a tempo, like tempo slash threshold, like a lower end threshold run so look probably slower than what you'd be running a 5k race in whereas you take that extra recovery the pace of those reps instantly you should be running much quicker because you've got your your body's able to recover between them better um and that and, and then you've got to understand that before the session to say right actually this is how we're going to taper the reps to to, to accommodate for that and not go out too hard <laughs> yeah yeah 
absolutely but it's quite it is it's a good it's a good point though and like how yeah just how those subtle variations can have such an impact on the training yeah, session yeah, yeah. and also because if you do if you cut down the rest like that chances are you probably won't see your heart rate no dropping down that no, too much no, you'll not probably just keep climbing there's uh, actually so, you can actually look on my strava thing you'll see uh i did they did that exact session the 400s with um 45 second 30 second and 15 second recovery and you can see between the thirty, the forty-five and thirty, there's a drop. But the yeah, the the one with the yeah. fifteen-second recovery, it's actually put the heart rate goes a little bit slow because you've lost all that momentum from the rep and have to go again. Yeah. Uh, also, a bit of wind down a cram, and I suppose, but yeah, yeah. But that it, that's that's what you want to do in those in those hard sessions is you can you can look back at it and you can see you can see the see the effort and that that like that point on sort of wind you might be doing some efforts into the wind and you might think oh my pace is not as good but actually if if you're you're it's all about the effort so if heart rate's consistent and rpe is also consistent well then the effort's consistent isn't it so it doesn't really matter what the pace is doing um and actually that's where you know sometimes heart rate can be a really useful tool uh you know like look i'm at that zone in in a set even in a session so these harder efforts i'm in this zone the paces aren't quite where i'm looking for today but i'm actually still going to get the adaptation because the the actual stimulus is still there yeah yeah but you almost get like a natural built-in kind of sensation of then what that feels like yeah and you kind of you might then you just use it as that reference you're like oh i know i know i'm not hitting my paces but this effort feels right and yeah. then you see after the session you go i can see my heart rate's even climbing when i think i'm running slower and then come you know come a day when the conditions are good you'll see those times come down and the other thing which we didn't touch on earlier we're talking about the longer slower stuff but is that idea in the longer runs as well we'll see that heart rate potentially yeah. rising up a bit at, at, at the end of those long runs won't we and that's just because of the metabolic stress that's building up over the, well, over it's, the course you know, of the long run you're sweating so your plasma yep. volume decreases so your heart is having to because your blood becomes a little bit more viscous so your work your blood mm. your, your heart is having to work harder to pump that around your body your core temperature is consistently rising, so your 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 heart is again having to try and pump pump blood to your periphery, so your your capillaries and your your skin to try and lose heat, um, which again increases stress, uh, and your your stroke volume uh, decreases as well, um, so your heart rate has to pump more. So yes, you even at the same intensity of effort, your heart rate will naturally creep up in long runs and. It's just a bear that you you have to accept that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to necessarily feel any harder, but that you you know you will warm up into it as well, which also helps. But it that will happen. So you you can't then don't worry if it's going a bit all oh, creeping into my zone three because actually the intensity zones the same. You just have to be aware of all these other factors that will be at, at play. But the physiological stress is still going to be there. So you know yeah. your ninety minute run is not going to be the same as doing two. 45 minute runs it's a completely different stimulus in that respect yeah yeah yeah. and that's why it's also so important that you do those long runs as well because when you're doing that and you're putting it under that type of stress you're training the body and getting used to it like if you're building up to run a marathon and Mm -hmm. you're trying to run it hard or you're trying to chase a time you're not like i i I do like i why i don't like it i love the idea of smart training and optimizing training for your lifestyle but it gets to the point where sometimes you do just have to say, if I'm going to do something, I have to make space for it. And it's a blue ribbon sport. You have to put in the miles. Yep. And if you don't do those long runs, you can, you, you do miss out on those like, these subtle things which are happening. Which are it's a, it's a different adaptation. You know, it's, your, it's, yeah. it's, it's running on tired legs. At the end of the day. Yeah. And you, you can't really emulate that by doing uh, an easy run in the morning and an easy run in the evening all the time. Uh, you have to you have to the the continuous stress and then recruiting these these muscle groups which maybe aren't quite as optimized for that kind of work because we you end up relying with obviously with the two split runs your muscles recover but the main muscle groups recover which means you can recruit them again um but then obviously you you do need to stress out these small muscle groups and these keeping that motion pattern going flip side however obviously having be able to split those runs getting recovery in between the runs and going again does mean you can actually increase the volume without necessarily while it's taking a little bit of the edge of the injury risk that maybe imposes so at the end of the day if you can't fit it in 
that's fine. Well, you try and work it around you, but still maintain these longer runs in there as well. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that, that's what we were touching on uh, on last week, on the last episode, talking about the idea of frequency, where like it gets to the point where there's only so long you can make seven runs yeah. or five runs in the week where you actually... You know, yes, that long critical that long runs critical, but if you're gonna build up your volume in your base and your aerobic two you know, your aerobic zone two miles, you need to manipulate that frequency and do like doing a double day of zone one, zone two training is a yeah. very effective way of minimizing that injury risk but maximizing those aerobic adaptations. And it yeah, and I mean it doesn't necessarily have to be running as well. Um yeah. I mean it's it's there's a lot recently about uh, talking about Elliot Giles, who is he's a mm-hmm. he's a British 800 meter and 1500 meter runner, um, and he's sort of bucked the trend a little bit in that he just he only runs about 45 miles a week, maybe even 25 miles a week some weeks, um, but all those are the very specific running sessions, um, and the rest are done on sort of elliptical machines and cross training, mm-hmm. uh, and the reason for that he was just far more injury prone. They seem to be far more injury prone than other runners and has to find ways of getting the volume in without, which isn't going to make them less at risk of injury. Um, but at the end of the day, your muscles don't really, or your, your body doesn't really recognize the difference sometimes between working on elliptical swimming or running, obviously the, the loading difference. It's a, it's a training stress and that will elicit ad- adaptation at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've got to look at, it's like you keep saying, you've got to look at the athlete as well, where, You've got some athletes who respond to a lot of volume and a lot of load, yeah. and yeah. you know they get on well with it. You get athletes who respond to a lot, of, you know, very well to VO two work and shorter volume, and then you build that up, that volume up in other ways that don't don't load things. Um, final thing we kind of got to cover with uh, heart rate is how to monitor it, yeah. um, because you know there's obviously there's a few ways to do it. The most popular ways are obviously what most people are going to be doing is whether you're using from wrist based monitoring to chest strap and i know like wrist base kind of changed the game for a while because like let's be face it let's be honest a lot of people just don't like the feeling of a chest strap well you get everything but, in one as well you don't even have to think yeah. about putting a chest strap on to monitor it. you don't have to clean the chest strap afterwards um and if you yeah. do you know if you do like fit the watch right to your, your wrist and you know are mm-hmm. clever about uh, and, and smart about how you look after that monitor then you can get some really, really meaningful results um, and, and sort of metrics from that. Um, but yeah. it's caveated by, as we were saying earlier, you know, fit of the watch on your, your wrist. Um, you were saying in sort of difference between summer and winter time, like uh, cold. If, if it's if your hand or your skin temperature is cold, it's not going to necessarily pick up on sort of that that pulse <laughs> quite as easily. Yeah. So vastly different figures uh, month to month in that respect. Um, what are the other few ones? I don't know more off the top of my head. But. Oh, no, we'll, 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 we'll cover that just from the perspective of the chest strap and the, yeah. the the wrist strap. I think that's the main, that that's those pieces of advice are just quite good, though, that we wanted to cover, where if you're, if you're wearing a, a wrist-based monitor, you want to have it tight because if light gets in, that's not going to let the heart rate sensor pick up as, as well. Never sit your heart, your watch down with the sensor on the surface of something because scratches damage the <laughs> guilty as away. charged <laughs> <laughs> damages the optical ARA. I mean I I personally find when I I've done quite a lot of correlation between wearing a chest strap my wrist based strap even another wrist based monitor and comparing all the numbers being the OCD I am and uh, looking at that and actually in the summertime my data is incredibly similar across the across the board across the different measurements however in the winter time I get very cold hands even with gloves on double gloves and I my heart rate readings go really off with the wrist based so I simply have to wear a chest strap on those easy runs and what I don't like the feeling of it on the faster ones because I find it constricts my breathing a bit so I just forget about it on the fast-paced runs in the winter time, and I just wear the chest strap for the easy stuff. But it's just a good point to think about is, you know, what are you going to do if you want the absolute gold standard? Definitely correlate your data with a chest strap. You cannot rely so. And if you think it's a bit off, then on the wrist base, then you know, double check that. Double check that with a with a wrist base yeah. monitor with a chest strap monitor and see what comes up. Oh, I got so frustrated with my. Um my wrist-based heart rate monitor on like on the top of the range watch as well. And I think it is because I yeah. got a wee scratch on it and it just didn't work properly anymore. But 
they're going out for easy runs and at the same my heart rate is up at 200 210 beats a minute and that all my runs were a sort of vo2 max effort and that wasn't recovering at all like because garmin works on all these algorithms based on what your heart rate's doing as to maybe what your 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 intensity of exercise you're doing and basically all all of those functionality of the watch was way off because the the, the wrist-based heart rate monitor was wasn't working and it did it drained the back it drains the battery a little bit as yeah, well so i thought yeah. right just turn it off get a chest strap you get all these other metrics by wearing a chest strap chest strap because they've got like the, the accelerometers and everything in there as mm-hmm. well and sort of if you're wanting to mes- measure vertical oscillation um and ground contact balance as well which you can get with the watch it's a really like easy thing to wear to get that and it's it's very accurate to be honest um and that's yeah. where i really noticed like that con- consistency with heart rate uh, measurements between runs um and then started using heart rate more more commonly to, to as a as a metric as one metric to sort of keep a check on my training yeah yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely and I, I think you, you know that you kind of go back to that point there about measuring it that and you meant you said earlier there's no point of measuring something you don't understand yeah. And totally. that, that's what we're trying to get at here where, you know, we're not going to be able to tell you all the answers about using heart rate, but hopefully some of our experiences and sharing some of the limitations there might actually just steer, steer you in the right direction about how it can be useful. But in all likelihood, you probably want to going to do a little bit more reading about using heart rate in zone one, zone two training, look up maybe math, math training and the math test and how that works. But it, it's, it's all about you know not being governed by that data isn't it you've got to be able to feel your training and feel feel what you're doing don't you you, you you've got to understand what what the data is is saying and and if you don't if, you, if you're not interested in that and you don't think it'll benefit don't just ignore it um yeah. I, I think the way that a lot of um sort of activity tracking devices have gone is let's just give give more and more data uh, and the, and if you want if you want a bigger better spec watch it's going to give you even more data uh, as though that's like, like a really beneficial thing to to do, uh, when actually a lot of the time, a lot of the metrics are a little bit inaccurate anyway, because they're based on assumptions and algorithms which aren't necessarily true for everyone anyway. Um, so you've already got to take these with a pinch of salt. But yeah, if if you are interested in something, un- get develop an understanding of what that means and and the caveats of that. Um, see how it relates to you. Um, and then make up an action plan as to maybe how you're going to respond to these different because it's all very well collecting this data oh look it's doing this and then not informing you because if it's not going to inform what your training's doing you might as well not record it anyway it can it can just be a distraction that can sometimes actually throw you off your training um, and actually yeah uh, some you know feel is sometimes quite a good thing like if you have a really good session and like, oh no my heart rate's heart rate saying that I was working way too hard or wasn't hard working yeah. hard enough. You then automatically feel that that what run wasn't as good anymore. It's like well, that's completely nonsense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I know, and and yeah, completely. I I think you've kind of rounded up perfectly there. And I, I what I always like to do post session is just take five minutes at some point that day to reflect on the session and make a couple of notes on it, and. And maybe look at the heart rate data and correlate with that. But I think it's I think it's always a good thing when you finish. I always ask myself at the start of a run, what's the purpose of this run? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at the end of the run, I always reflect on it and go, did I do what I said I was going to do at the start? Yeah, yeah. Or have you raced that? So. Have you raced that guy who's overtaken you on the run just because you want to prove a point when it's meant to be a recovery yeah. run? And like, oh no, I've definitely had to exactly. check myself a few times on the way to work. <laughs> Sometimes on an easy run, like. Someone's overtaken. Yeah. I just need to prick it up. <laughs> Far too <laughs> and competitive you see that, for my own good. You see that heart rate spike afterwards. So yeah, we, yeah, we all do like, that. Yeah, I was just feeling a little bit leggy afterwards. You know, like perceived exertion was a little <laughs> bit too hot on uh, coming up uh, there. <laughs> oh, it's, it's it's normal, isn't it? But hopefully, hopefully that uh, hopefully this episode is just you know giving 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 you listeners some some good helpful information on what can be quite a complicated subject and you know hopefully you can refer back to this build on this and then you've got some useful tips for your training i don't know if you have anything else in particular to add james or at the end of the day try and keep it as simple as possible Uh, i think we're we're far too inclined to to make things more complicated because if you make it more complicated then sure it's going to work and be better and better outcomes from it but it's not the case for my own escapades trying to monitor things like sometimes ground contact balance and 
seeing what I can do with that. At the end of the day, if you get the the broad brush, you know, strokes right in terms of making sure you're covered, making sure you've got a bit of variety in your, your running training and have a bit of uh, strength conditioning on the side there, you, you can't go too far wrong as if you're being consistent. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers. Right. Thanks very much, everyone. We'll uh, we'll see you on the next episode and uh, hope you enjoyed this one. Catch you later. Bye-bye.